If you have a Bible, I want you to meet me in John chapter, chapter 13. John chapter, chapter 13. I'm gonna have a word of prayer here in a second, but I just need to say to you, uh, there's some messages that, that uh, as a pastor you preach that are, um, uh, they're not all that inspiring, they're not necessarily all that insightful, Sometimes the messages that you have to preach, you're called to preach, are very, very painful. And uh, this is one of these texts of scriptures that uh, your tone has got to match the darkness of what's taking place. It's one of these texts of scripture where it would be irreverent to be light. It would be irreverent to deal with this text Uh, uh, in any other way but with great sobriety and soberness. This text that we're going to be stepping into is perhaps the most painful passage in the Scriptures, apart from our Savior's crucifixion. Uh, It is a heavy text. But I think there's some implications for us today. I've entitled the message, An Enemy in the Camp an enemy in the camp. Let's bow our heads together. Holy Father, we thank you for your love and mercy and grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have been rich and wonderful to us, more than we can comprehend. And God, you know how I struggled this past week and just uh, even early, early, early this morning in terms of the tone of this text and uh, what is taking place here um, and how we can find ourselves Uh, uh, regrettably, but necessarily uh, in this whole uh, uh, narrative and and drama. So God, I pray that you'll help us and speak to our hearts, and may we learn uh, some rich lessons from your word by your spirit so that we might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Anybody here ever been betrayed? Yeah, if you're older than 20, you've been betrayed. Yeah, yeah. It's not a delightful feeling, is it? I guess notably, one of the most uh, incredible, uh, I would say classic cases of betrayal in a painful way is a story, that that sort of triangle there in the Old Testament with uh, Absalom, Ahithophel, and David. Absalom and Ahithophel betraying David. Uh, I think some people mispreach that passage. In my, my view, they think that the betrayal was triggered by Absalom, uh, you know, being frustrated and ticked off that David did not take care of this horrible, incestuous situation involving Tamar. But close examination of what took place And then again, the Psalms, where David records and gives insight into his heart, particularly Psalm 55, you'll discover that that the betrayal, yes, 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 that may have been the presenting issue, but really the betrayal was deeper than that. Absalom wanted to replace his dad. And I think that those desires were there all along. Now think about this. 
how, how, do you, how do you go after your own father, not only go after him, but you want him very dead? How is it that you go after your dad, not only to replace him, but to kill him? And then how is it that you are so weak and waffling, Ahithophel, that you would turn in the very guy that is giving you the platform and you have weaseled your way into his heart and you, you have become his bosom buddy, close confidant, and play secret agent. You say to yourself, who does that? The great David? You're going to do that to him? Parenthetically, if David could be betrayed and Jesus could be betrayed, don't think that you can't be betrayed. So I, I want to raise a question. I did some editing on this message. I started to list what I'm about ready to say to you at the end, but I think it's better to put it up at the, 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 the very beginning. Uh, why do we betray people? I mean, why do we do it? You know, there's a truckload. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Rick, Rick Petronella here. He could probably give you a book as to how that takes place psychologically. And there's a truckload of reasons why we do that. But I, 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 I've identified at least these four reasons as to why we can get set up in betraying others. And by the way, none of us are immune to this. I think one of the, 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 the first reason or the top reason why we betray people uh, you know, when we, we, you know we, we violate their trust and, and we throw that away and we turn them in is because we're sinful and, and we lean towards self-preservation. All of us are. All of us are. The, we're sinful. And every last one of us, now it might take us longer to get there, some of us, but every last one of us lean towards self-preservation. In fact, sin, pride, and selfishness, they're intertwined. And so we betray people because at a certain point it's about us. I think another reason why we betray people is because of jealousy and envy. I happen to believe that that was a primary homepage for, for this situation with Absalom. Absalom was jealous and envious of his dad. And I need to tell you this. You, you know, listen, listen, this ain't my first rodeo here. I got a little mileage on me. And I got to tell you, uh, uh, jealousy and envy is a bad thing. It is a bad thing. And be careful of giving yourself a pass with that because when you study jealousy and envy in the scriptures, it is always irrational. And those folks who are given the gossip, I think the gossip is a manifestation of jealousy and envy. And we can betray people, frankly, because we want what they have. Or we got to pull them down a couple of notches to push myself up a few notches. So I think that's another reason why we, we betray people. I think the third reason why we betray people is because of, and this is going to surprise you, but I've seen this in my experience. The third reason is because of people-pleasing. 
You say, how do you betray people because of people pleasing? Think about it. Think about it. Sometimes you get in relationships and you get triangulated. You have a friend over here, but there's somebody over here that you're really impressed with. But the person that you're really impressed with, they've got problems with the friend that you're close to. And because of your own sense of neediness and insecurity, you want the favor or good pleasure or imprimatur or affirmation or whatever it is of this person over here. So unwittingly, you sell this person out over here. Oh, I've seen that. I don't mean to sound like some, you know, martyr here, but I've been the victim of that. You want to court the favor of somebody else. And so the people pleasing in you will cause you to do folks in. And I think another reason why we betray people, fourthly, is because of misplaced passions and priorities. What do you mean by that? I think those of us who are task-oriented, dude up here, those of us who are task-oriented, you need to be careful of this. The task and the mission can become everything, and if you're not careful, you'll start using people to get to where you want to be. And relationships becomes utilitarian. And you don't intend to betray, betray people, but you get sometimes in a situation, I really want this. I really want this. And I really want to see this happen. And there are means for me getting over here. And you can start saying and doing things. Once you get what you want, you just sort of push these people aside over here. I think that that is an insidious form of betrayal. Now we come to this passage here. This text of scripture in John 13, this account is perhaps, well, it's not perhaps, it's the worst betrayal in all of history. Now, once again, you've got to understand where this is taking place, okay? Uh, context is everything. Context is king. What, what's happening here, and I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I said this in setting up the uproom discourse a few weeks ago here, you have to understand that John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, someone say chapter 17, Jesus is preaching his own eulogy. Jesus is preaching his own memorial service. He's about ready to die. You have to understand the crowds have all thinned out now. Even those folks who called themselves disciples, many of them have flown the coop. So now he's left with the 12 that he's poured three and a half years of his life into. He summarizes everything that they need to know in order to, in order to impact the world in John chapters 13 through 17. I mean, it's absolutely astonishing. And he begins, he begins this memorial service, as it was, he begins it by washing their feet. 
serving them as a portrait of what they needed to be for others. And I made the observation a few weeks ago, the set of tootsies that he washed belonged to Judas. So here you have it. And now after he does this, the narrative begins in a shocking way. And I think that there are four words that pull us through this narrative. Four words. Troubled, confused, revealed, and released. Mind you again. Three and a half years. They had heard everything. They saw the miracles. There with the confrontations. Jesus disclosing himself. He's with them. And the text says here, in verse 21, after he washes their feet, Notice this line. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Hi, I want to draw your attention to the, to, 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 to the, to the, to the shocking language that's used here, and I'm not being dramatic. Um, uh, Jesus is troubled or heartbroken. But I want to rivet your attention to the word troubled. Uh, in, in the Greek text, it literally means to, to stir up, to be shaken. Really, it means visible agitation. I really believe uh, uh, Jesus, when he was troubled in his spirit, he demonstrated that to the disciples. Now, I also need to keep reminding us here that Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He had all the emotions. And here he is about to die. He has just washed their feet, explained what it meant. And they're gathered around together, they're reclining at table. They are close together. They see his emotions. And Jesus is shaken. Jesus is shaken. You can only imagine what these disciples must have felt. This visible uh, 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 agitation caught the attention of his disciples. What's happening? I've never seen him look like that. What's going on? You ever come home and 
You get in the house and you can just look at your wife and you know something horrible is taking place. Honey, what's wrong? This is the sense and the feeling that, that's here. When you read the Bible, read it in its emotional context. This is what's going on. Jesus is agitated. And the disciples are feeling it. And then this terrible line. One of you will betray me. Whoa, whoa. At this point, you got to understand, they are the visible epitome of loyalty in their minds. I mean, it, 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 hey, you know, all, the, all that nonsense we went through with the Pharisees with you and all the other stuff, we're still standing with you, Jesus. We, ain't, we, we didn't bail on you, man. We didn't, we didn't deep six the relation. We're here, man. Everybody else walked away from you. And I said, well, where are we going to go? And we're stood right. We're here. We, we, we're here. So when he says, one of you is going to betray me, think about the embarrassing silence. They, they all understood what Jesus meant, but they were at a loss to know which one of them he meant. I mean, that anyone that close to Jesus could do this to him was beyond their comprehension. Do you feel that? Betray you? Who could do that? At this stage of the game, who, who would even think about doing that? We're here. Now, he, here's something you need to press into this. There's an ellipsis here that, that, that really is a powerful statement. It's not stated, but it's clearly stated. Uh, what, are you, what are you saying, Crawford? Well, think about this. If you were Judas and you heard the words, one of you will betray me. Judas, the betrayer, knows he's about ready to be exposed. He's right there. In fact, my research indicates, you know, that, uh, and, I, and, I, and I can't, I'm not 100% sure of this, but the feeling of the passage is this, particularly John's response, and in a few moments you'll see where John was. I, and most scholars believe that Judas was probably on the right side of Jesus, right next to Jesus, and John was on the left side of Jesus. Now, I'll get to that in a moment. So here you have Judas in close physical proximity with Jesus. And I happen to believe when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, Jesus was still giving, that was, that was not only a statement to expose him potentially, but it was an opportunity for him to repent. Now, follow this. Just think with me. You, you are there. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. So you're thinking in your mind, Judas had to be thinking in his mind. Now he has a dilemma. 
do I now run out of here and execute the plot? Do I do that? Or do I renounce my evil and beg for forgiveness? I even think the fact that he made it known that one of you will betray me gave opportunity for him to repent. Judas had time to make things right. Judas also saw on Jesus' face how agitated and shaken he was. Both Jesus' demeanor and the announcement that he was going to be betrayed should have compelled him out of compassion to repent. Yeah. Well, this leads to the second word. Troubled, heartbroken. But verses 22 through 25, the only way to describe this is that the disciples were confused or, or they were uncertain and rattled. I mean, this well, what's, what's going on here? What, what you, I don't understand what. Tell me something. Just read these words. Listen, verse 22. The disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Now, this is sort of John's way of being humble, saying that this was John. Okay? So he was at Jesus. He's at the table. The table was low. They were reclining at table. John's head was resting up against Jesus. Judas is on the other side. Now, so that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Now I skipped over, but Simon Peter is, uh, this is, this is, I, I just, this is, I love this. This is typical Peter. Now, yo, dude, now it's not completely typical, Peter, because usually Peter would have blurted out. Betray you? Who? Who is it? Sure, we don't have to, I mean, listen, listen, Jesus, you can just go ahead, I'll take care of this. We'll go right out behind the building right here to be all over. You know, that was, that was Peter. Hey, we can, we, 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 I, this, is, this is not even a big thing. We don't need to pray and fast, no 40 days, nothing like this. Just a little 10-minute deal, and whoever it is will be history. But even Peter was so stunned and shocked by this. They just give little signals to John. 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 Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who's the one that's going to betray you? It, it, it can't be any of us. And by the way, John was reclining next to Jesus, which meant that his back was to Jesus. 
And I, so I don't think anybody else heard what Peter said. And, and, and I keep coming back to this. You've got to remember, they had all given up everything to follow Jesus. It was unthinkable that anyone, any one of them would betray Jesus. But I want to say this clearly to all of us. Don't ever think that you're not capable of betraying Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? Don't you ever think that you're not capable of betraying Jesus. If those words ever come out of your mouth, you have just betrayed Jesus. All of us, and we'll see this in a few weeks with Peter, all of us have a little bit of Judas Iscariot inside of us. We have that proclivity. It is there. So these stunned disciples are just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And I know Judas is a son of perdition, and we're going to mention the Zechariah passage later on and how all of this comes together. But in terms of a relational component exposed to Jesus, educated by Jesus, experiences with Jesus, been there. He was in the back of the boat when Jesus, in the boat when Jesus stood up and said, peace be still. He helped pass out the, 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 the loaves and fish and, and, and fed the multitude. He was up close and personal with Jesus. And they're all saying, how can anybody betray him? And yet, if you're on this side of the grave, every last one of us has the possibility and the potential to betray our Lord. The tension in this upper room was so thick, you cut it with the proverbial knife. They're hearing death. They've, they've given up everything. And now you're saying somebody's going to betray you? Man, this whole thing sounds like it ain't going to end well. <sighs> so you've gone from Jesus being troubled. The disciples are confused. So now Jesus, the third word is revealed. He singles out and isolates Judas, but he doesn't put him on blast. Hey, I don't mean no harm. But if somebody did that to me, and he was part of the inner circle, I'm going to single him out and put him on blast. Jesus doesn't do that. He didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do that. Oh, look at verse 26. This is powerful. Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. It's scary. You say, Crawford, he didn't put him on blast. Well, why? He announced it. Now, I, I, actually, I actually believe, looking at the, the, the text here, that he probably 
probably whispered to John. Text doesn't say that he said it to everybody. I think he probably just whispered it to John. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, apparently he whispered it to John because the disciples, you'll see later on in verses 27 to 30, didn't know why Judas had left. So he probably whispered it to John. Yo, John, do you think I'm stupid? I saw Peter trying to get your attention. This is really amazing. I actually owe this insight to Chris Fowler here. We were sitting in worship planning committee meeting, and, 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 and this is a powerful insight. Ah. Jesus, in dipping the morsel, the bread, in the cup, mind you, he had just changed the representation of the Passover. He said, the Passover now represents my body, which is to be broken for you. And this cup, this wine, represents my blood, which is going to be shed for you. I agree with with what Chris pointed out, and it's a powerful statement, that what Jesus was doing was, hey, look. I am still giving you another opportunity. Although you're betraying me, I will die for you. I will die for your betrayal. Think about it. This was the final act of supreme love for Judas. It wasn't just to be read, and I know we preach it this way. It wasn't just to be read, okay, this is a sign that you're going to betray me. You got to look at the symbol of what he did and what it represented. This bread is my body. This wine is my blood. Judas, you have another chance. You've got another opportunity. Think about it. Judas betrayed Jesus. But when Jesus dipped the bread in the wine, I'm going to cover your sin. I'm going to cover your sin. Betrayal is not final. And I know that perhaps there's some people in here, you feel as if you have done the most damnable awful, horrible, terrible thing and that God could never forgive you. And I'm going to say something that's counterintuitive. Stop giving yourself that much credit. Ultimately, that is an arrogant statement. Wow, Crawford. It really is. For you are saying that the death and atonement of Jesus is inadequate and insufficient for you. There's nothing that you have ever done 
that is beyond the ability of our Savior to forgive you. The very fact that he dipped the bread in the wine and offered it to Judas was, yeah, it was a sign that he was going to betray him, but it was also an opportunity for Judas to say, stop! It's covered. It's covered. And then, boy, so the whole drama of this, silence, mouths are open. What's playing out here? The disciples still hung up on this, somebody's going to betray us. They don't know what Jesus just whispered to John. They saw him dip and give it to Judas, but they didn't connect the dots there. And then Jesus, I think, the other disciples didn't hear this. This is the reason why I think John was over here and Judas was over here. Jesus turns to Judas. And this is the fourth word, release. He released him. Released him to pursue Satan's mission, but it was ultimately God's plan. Notice these words here. Verse 27. Verse 27 is the most terrible expression in the scriptures. Listen to these words. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. After he had taken the morsel, Without repentance, Satan entered into him. Warning, to betray Jesus is to do the work of the devil. You partook, you partook of this communion with no intention of repenting. By the way, this should sound familiar to some of us who read our Bibles. This should sound familiar. Uh, That's the reason why Paul said, when you come to the table, uh, you got to be careful. Deal with your sin. Deal with your stuff. Because you can can be eating and drinking damnation to your soul. So here you have this situation here. He doesn't repent. He eats the morsel. And at that point, the devil comes inside. It's not a coincidence. You see, Jesus, uh, Judas received the sop, but he didn't receive the love. Instead of breaking him, it hardened him. At that point, Satan entered him. And I, 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 I just need to say it. I need to say it. I need to say it. Listen to me. When you're warned and 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 warned, but you refuse, refuse, refuse and refuse and refuse and refuse, your heart becomes hard. Judas, three and a half years. How could you be exposed to all of this stuff? How could you listen to all of this stuff? How could you see all of this stuff? 
How could you let me wash your feet? First the pain, then the blister, then the callus. And I got to tell you that there are Christians who are like Judas. Christians who have lived compartmentalized lives. And this consumer mentality that we have of God has screwed up our theology. Judas received the sop, but he denied the love. If he had received the sop with a heart of repentance and embraced the love. Wow. So Jesus says to him, all right, what you're going to do, do quickly. Judas, you've actually reached the point of no return. This is what Jesus said. This is not to be taken out of context and be read that, you know, okay, when Jesus uh, revealed that Judas, Jesus said, you want to do it anyway, so I'm I'm telling you to go. Look at the opportunities along the way that he gave Judas, even at this meal, to respond. But he didn't. So he says, have at it. Shades of Romans 1, right? People are considered reprobate because actually they've made themselves reprobate. What do you mean by that? God has warned, you, don't, you didn't respond. God has warned, 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 you didn't respond. God says, all righty then. And so what Jesus says, his disciples are listening there. He says, okie my brother. Get on with doing the evil that is in your heart and be done with it. Now, again, I, this is all whisper here. The disciples, the other, the other ones didn't know about this. So verses 28 to 29, Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give some to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And the disciples just thought that Jesus was sending him on an errand. He was sending him on an errand. Get some food, or go give some money to the poor. They categorically had no idea. Jesus, Judas had the money back, so, hey, he was a treasurer. And by the way, that was his problem. Judas was greedy. I didn't intend to say this, but parenthetically, watch your attachment to money. I've said this up here a number of times through the years, quoting Richard Foster. There are three forces that vie for the worship of God. 
sex, unbridled ambition, power, and money. Money will make you do crazy stuff. So, And by the way, I want to point something out here. Some people read this passage and they, they say stuff like, well, you know, from a human perspective, uh, Jesus died because Judas betrayed him. Nah, that ain't true. I want you to pay attention to, to the text. The, very, you know, <laughs> the fact that Ju- Judas did what Jesus said, obeyed Jesus, makes it clear that Jesus did not die because Judas betrayed him. He voluntarily died. That's what he said over in John chapter 10, verse 18. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay my life down. So don't give Judas that much power. Did he betray him? Yes. But Jesus did not die as a victim. He did not die as a victim. The Romans technically didn't kill him. The religious leaders technically didn't kill him. He says, I have power to lay it down. And I've got power to take it up again. Jesus died voluntarily. Now, 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 Judas played a part of that scheme. But the very fact that Judas did what Jesus said demonstrated the lordship of Christ even over his suffering. So he goes out to do this thing. So Judas betrays him. He betrays Jesus, and that was prophesied back over in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 through 13. So that's the reason why uh, I say on one hand he played into Satan's plan, but it was all God's strategy. It was all planned by God. And you read the text there in Zechariah, it is, it is astonishing how specific the prophecy is. That Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas did this. He could not stand the dissonance. Finally, after he did the deed, he was like a Hittifel who both committed suicide. It was as if Judas said, who's really been deceived? Can I say something to you? Especially for those of you here who are passive aggressive. You have a difficult time of being transparent with your motivations. That can backdoor you into being deceptive. I call them 75 percenters. You put 75% on the table and you use the other 25% to manipulate the outcomes. At this stage in my life, trust me, you know what I've seen? It's the irony of deception. Deceivers are ultimately the ones who get deceived. Your deception is your judgment. The lies 
and the smoke and mirrors and the spinning and the manipulation always catches up with you. Always. It happened with Ahithophel and now it happens with Judas. Be truthful and transparent. Be a person that puts it all out on the table. Help your children as they're growing up when you see this this passive-aggressive stuff, this indirect way of dealing. Help them to get a little bit more over here. I had a very difficult time in preparing this message to figure out where do I land a plane. Here are a few considerations. One is this. Um, What are we willing to sell Jesus out for? Careful, don't say that you don't have a price. Careful, don't say that. Don't say that you don't have a price. Your vulnerability and my vulnerability is the price that I'm willing to sell him out for. What are you willing to sell him out for? All of us have a little bit of a 30 piece of silver hanging around us. And if we don't watch that, oh yeah, we'll sell him out and we'll sell some other folks out too. The other consideration is a statement. What occurs to me, the implication from all of this, is that we we desperately want God to be faithful to us, but it's not such a big deal if we're not faithful to him. And I would say to you that the very consumer mindset in, in the West, now let's not deal with the nebulous West, right here in Roswell, right here in Woodstock and Eastcombe and Johns Creek and Alpharetta and all the, you know, all, all the, Milton and all these other places that we come from, okay? Uh, let's, 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 let's just be honest about this. The consumer mindset that has, that has kind of branded our theology and our approach to doing church where we set God up, God is faithful to us. We, we present a God that, that does everything for us and, uh, and, and there are minimal requirements on our side. And we present a gospel of grace that is distorted. And so we celebrate his faithfulness But what about the requirement of us being faithful? By the way, the Bible does say, without holiness, no one should see the Lord. That's not legalism. (laughs) And I think another consideration is this, and I've said it already, we all, in one way or the other, have betrayed the Lord Jesus. All of us have. 
in one way or the other. So there's no room to be dismissive of other people. God has been merciful to us. Powerfully merciful to us. Our sins and our thoughts and our selfishness, not speaking up for him when we should, denying him when we had the opportunity to affirm what we really believe because we were afraid of what people think, all kinds of ways we have betrayed him. The other consideration is that if you're living, however, your betrayal and my betrayal is never final. It's never final. There's always opportunity to respond. And the point is is this. We need to repent and seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. I would like for us... uh, Take some time this afternoon. You know me after, after lunch, and I don't mean a lot of time, maybe 10, 15 minutes, or, or just take some time this afternoon. And ask ourselves this question. In what ways have I betrayed Jesus? St. Crawford, that's negative. Should we talk? Yeah, I think that, yes, yes. There, there, there are certain times in which we just need to stop glancing our, at our inadequacies and take a long, hard look at, yeah. I've done this. Again, with the idea it's not beyond the grace of God. But I think we need to ask ourselves that question. And sit in it for a while. And ask God to root the stuff out and to do what's necessary in my heart and life. So that I will not accommodate betrayal. We need to do that. Let's stand together. One other quick word. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, but you're in this service today, his arms are open wide, and he says, come. You're saying, Crawford, maybe I've done something that's like Judas, and I can't be a follower. Well, if you're standing up and breathing, uh, yes, you can. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin and I trust you as my Savior, Lord. And he will cleanse you and forgive you. Just that simple. Because of his great love. Just the same way he kept reaching out to Judas. Judas, I'm going to expose the person, but you still have time. Judas, I'm dipping this and the wine, you still have time. Is it your time today? 
Stop running. Stop procrastinating. Do it right now. Right now. Somebody in here needs to stop running from Jesus. And just stop and say, Lord Jesus, today's my day. I turn from my sin. I invite you into my heart and life. Cleanse me and forgive me. Make me your child. And if you've done that in this service, I'm going to ask you, there will be elders and people up front here. I'll be back here in Guest Central. Just come by and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. And we'd be glad to help you. Father, thank you for your presence, Lord. What a, what a sobering passage this is. And yet it reminds us of your relentless grace and mercy. God, just continue to do your work in our hearts and lives. Father, you've been merciful to us. Continue to help us as we grow. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We don't always represent you well, Lord. But will you help us? The irony is that you call us to be faithful, but then you give us the power to be faithful. May we tap into that grace and mercy. Dismiss us from this place. Help us to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.